0: Very casual podcast here with Gil Hans. everybody. I feel like we need a round of applause. No. no. Golf clap. Thank golf you. clap from the audience. Golf clap from <laughs> Colton. Um, dude, I mean, we've had a lot of really cool people on the podcast. Some of my favorite people to interview are writers, I've found. Okay. Uh, golf architects, uh, I've found also to be incredibly interesting, and I don't know why. And you're the... Uh, Well, I guess we interviewed Edwin, Icelandic Edwin. Do you know him? Edwin Rold? I I know know the name. Edwin Rold? Edwin Yeah. Yeah. No, I've heard the name. I don't know him. Yeah. Very thoughtful guy. Anyway, it was just a wonderful experience. Oh, and Jim Urbina. Jim's awesome. Jim's great. And I've just been looking forward to this for so long because, I don't know, I have... I don't recognize you in the sense that when you see Tiger Woods, it's shocking. But I recognize you in the sense that when I see you, I just feel like I know you very, very well, even though you have no idea who I am.
1: No, that was funny. I was doing a podcast with uh, <clears throat> the No Laying Up guys, and they were talking about like I was like a beetle. Like all the questions have been asked. So I don't know. I don't feel that way at all. But I appreciate the sentiment. Thank you. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean,
0: you know, well, here's, I, I need to start this. I need to get something off my chest right away, mm-hmm. which is that uh, sixth hole Rustic Canyon. Yes. I'd like to thank you. Oh, you're welcome. We you need, need
1: to you. thank Jim Wagner and Jeff Shackelford as well, because they had just as much to do with that as
0: I did. So, And we'll whoever make... cut the hole that one day I played it.
1: <laughs> that <laughs> would be Jeff Hicks, probably Jeff golf course superintendent. Yeah. It's my only
0: hole in one. Awesome. That's great. Um, That's and that was, it's getting further and further away from me, though. Um, no, living in LA, I played Rustic Canyon a lot uh, before I joined a, a club, and... Uh, you know, I guess, I mean, I don't even know where to start this interview, but I guess to give some background to you, let's, let's, before we go into my thoughts on the wonderful golf courses you've made and public golf and private golf and golf around the world, tell me a little bit, and maybe the people listening who don't have the privilege of knowing a little bit about you. So we're in an elevator. Who are you?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm probably the luckiest guy in the world. I mean, to be able to do what I do, and, and, and I mean, I love it. I get to play outside in the dirt. I get to create and work on some of the best golf courses in the world. I've got great guys working with me. We have a lot of fun doing it. And I mean, when you think about, I mean, we always talk talk to our guys and try and remind them, our job is a game. Think about that. I mean, don't ever lose sight of the fact that it's a game. We're over too serious. Just try to make sure that you always have that element of fun and, mystery and surprise that happens in golf, and, and don't ever lose touch of that.
0: So, wait, sorry, when you say your job is a game, do you mean your job is to uh, create an entertaining scenario, or do you actually mean that the, the puzzle of creating a golf course is in and of itself a, a playful environment?
1: More the first one, but I like the second one better. <laughs>
0: that was pretty
1: deep thought. Oh, you, um, got, you, <laughs> could, you can use that. Uh, yeah, we always just talk about that. Don't lose sight. I mean, what we're doing is, is important is important to the client they're spending a lot of money they're entrusting us with a great you know hopefully a great piece of ground or an existing club is a great resource so we don't ever we, we understand the seriousness of that but we try and keep things light on site we try and have a good time with what we do and we also try to make sure that we remember that the soul of what we're doing is about the playing of a game right it's not about selling real estate it's not about figuring out where the car paths go the best or you know, how can we get a signature hole or a calendar shot? It's, hey, how can we build 18 really interesting golf holes that are going to be fun for people to play?
0: Well, and so, see, this is where I think your fandom begins, right? Is where people look at you and they say, they kind of want to beat their chest like William Wallace, I think, because what you stand for is the spirit of the game rather than the spirit of the business. And, and it's sad that, you know, there's only a handful,
1: well, we've we've always looked at it that way, and and, and I think the other thing is we appreciate <clears throat> the importance of getting the details right. I mean, I was over in Tokyo working with Neil Cameron, one of our cavemen, uh, on the golf course. One at, of our cavemen. Yeah, so I'll tell I'll tell caveman in a second. But know. we were so I'm down on my the this, the contractor had put the sod down and it was just offset, not right. It wasn't meshing up with the way the green was going to be finished. and We're seeding the green, so you need to have a perfect seam there. So I'm pulling up sod on my hands and knees, you know, scraping aside dirt with my hands and a couple of members are playing golf and they're like, oh, is Gilson, is he here? Is he here? And I'm like, they're looking at me like, and I kind of said, no, he's, he's over on the other side of the (laughs) golf course right now. But, but you get, you know, people don't recognize that, you know, you're down on your hands and knees, you're in a bulldozer, you're actually doing the work and that's kind of fun. But that's the detail stuff that, when you talk about it's not a business to us, it's a passion. Right. And every single guy that works with us. And so the cavemen are our shapers, and they travel with us around the world, literally, and they're younger, generally younger guys, mostly single. Uh, one just got married. And um, have,
0: have you worked with Ben Warren? Yes. Yeah, Ben Warren worked with us down in, in Rio. Can I just take a time out? I, I, yeah. I do this a lot. I'm sorry to digress. Yeah, right. No worries. Uh, I know Ben Warren. Yeah. We met in Tokyo. We've, uh, he stayed at my house last week in Los Angeles. No shit, dude. We're out on number, uh, what what fucking hole? I don't know. Seventh hole? Okay. Number two. Sorry, I curse. It's right. Right. I if it like, offends you, just yeah, tell no me.
1: I I'm on a construction
0: site all the time. Yeah. So I've <laughs> heard. Check this out. We meet these kids from Scotland, and they're out here playing the Watson Cup. Okay. And this old guy comes over, and he's with them, clearly. Same colored shirt. I said, are you the captain? He goes, yeah. I'm Mr. Warren. And I go, you Ben Warren's dad? And he goes, yeah. David Warren, <laughs> how crazy small is that? world! Wow. Like we started, like <laughs> a, it it was like crazy. Anyway, yeah, Ben has a Ben has some stories about he. Know. Yeah,
1: he was great. He came down kind of late in the game in Rio and and jumped in with our guys and and definitely contributed a lot to it. Yeah, yeah. so he's very he's talking about passion. He's got it. Yeah,
0: Ben Warren showed up to a round that we were playing at the Meadow Club with. Uh, No joke, a vinyl golf bag that had like a centimeter of dust over it, that had about six (laughs) clubs that were from each from a different decade. Wow. Anyway,
1: that's fun stuff. So the cavemen are the guys that just move around with us. And and Bill Kittleman uh, was the golf pro at Marion for a long time, and he works with with Jim and I. And um, he, we were it was back in the '90s. Nobody knew who we were. We were younger guys, and this superintendent hated us. Couldn't Why? stand because we wanted to change the world, and he was looking. He was ah. on the glide path to retirement, thinking, "I just want to get out of this job in five years." <laughs> and these guys want to put Fescue on bunkers and do what and all this kind of crazy stuff. And so every day at three thirty, he'd pack up and take all the equipment and go home.
0: Because essentially, you probably make every super's job much harder. No,
1: not always. A lot of what we do is actually to give them the tools to, in theory, make it easier by you know giving them the opportunities to have good soil under their greens, good drainage, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, new bunker liner technology so if we do our job right in theory their job is is it's never easy I mean those guys are the hardest working guys in the business the most underappreciated guys in the business are the superintendents so I don't want to say it's easy but we give them the tools to have to for their job to be more efficient
0: like ideally if you do your job right it will be better and not harder Yes, You're working with the elements, whatever those are.
1: We're, we're just trying to give them the opportunity to provide a consistent or at least have um, a predict, more predictable outcome when they deal with Mother Nature. I mean, anytime you deal with Mother Nature, you're never going to get anything 100% perfect. It's impossible. Right. But if they, we give them the tools and the opportunities through the construction to have a chance to predict better what the outcome will be after it's 98 degrees and then it rains a half an inch, <laughs> then that's better for them. Yeah. So, I mean, so we're, if we do our job right and if the contractor does his job right and the superintendent's got, you know, the irrigations in the right place, there's all this, you know, it's it's never a one man thing. That's one of the things I hate about. It's like, oh, Gil Hans did this. No, no. Gil Hans did maybe one 90th of it. There were like 90 other guys out there working and that were involved in the whole process. And there's, it's, you know, it, it really is a big team. But
0: in, in every bit of media that you do, you, in fact, in the, your first breath on this podcast, you, um, it's 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 humility, but it's also like a just an honest representation of the teamwork that occurs, which is you know that's really cool.
1: It's just like you said, it's just being honest. I mean, these guys work so hard, and and I was hoping Jim was going to be here, uh, Jim Wagner, because he's a lot funnier than I am, so you'd really have a good time <laughs> with him. And he's chances are he's going to say something really irreverent. You, you know, you're saying, Great. If, you know, it's let. not going to Jim. <laughs> Jim would be way off. <laughs> He'd be off the reservation with you in a heartbeat. But right. he um. He can't make it, so it's, um, you know, I, I I can't wait for the first podcast or the first interview for Jim Wagner. It right. should be, you guys should be. Where's jump. he based? He's based in uh, in D.C. right now. All, All right, well. let's do it. Yeah, so he's, anyway, he he's great and everything. You know, people ask me, who had the greatest impact on you? You know, what architects? And I always used to say, well, dead guys are, you know, McKenzie and, and Rainer and um, living guys. You know, obviously, Bill Core is a good friend, and he's great, but... I've kind of the realization that I learn more from Jim every single day and day. So I've been standing next to the guy that I've learned the most from for 25 years. And he's just – he's great at what he does. He's great at everything he touches. Um, we've just been working at Marion doing a big restoration there, and he's been off the charts. I've never seen him shape like this before. I mean, the 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 work that he did there is so special and so cool. And he was just – it's not like he's never – hes ne- He's always engaged, but he, this was like a mission because he grew up as a fence member there. I mean, he would hop the fence and sneak out of the West Course when he was... So it, that's his home area. Have you
0: ever heard that term before? <laughs> fence member? Yeah. Awesome. Cold. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm that's writing a, it down. That's a T-shirt, my guy. <laughs> fence membership. I just, I just cancel my membership at Wilshire Country Club. Cool. Just be a fence is, member. Yeah, just I'm a fence them. member now. <laughs> 11th hole is where I start, guys. <laughs> there you go. So he's, I mean... And wow, he. so he would he, literally he, jump the fence.
1: Yeah, as kids. I mean, back then, the fence was probably a lot shorter. It was amazing. probably just easier to do it.
0: Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so, so he, this is yeah, a very so personal he, project for him.
1: Yeah, it, it is. And he's just done an amazing, amazing job. And it's really cool to see. It's been fun.
0: Right. Do you mind if I unplug your headphones? Not at all. Because I need, I just need the volume louder, because I have a hard time hearing. Um, okay, so let's talk yeah that's way better for me okay now i can hear my voice and i can just do your voice as okay. you talk
1: one two three four
0: um what do people not know about gil Hans?
1: um yeah you should ask tracy that question tracy <laughs> you want to put it in? we got
0: tracy uh on stage right here yeah. um I don't know. I mean, a
1: lot of people are, are amazed to find out that I'm a deadhead because they think I'm fairly straight and down the middle. Favorite dead song? Uh, bird song. Bird song? I love bird song. I
0: don't know that song. <laughs> and I was like a crazy deadhead, dude. Yeah,
1: bird song's pretty cool. And Cassidy. I really like Cassidy as well.
0: You know what I really like about dead songs is they have a way of making you feel like you're on a road trip. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Tracy always gives me a hard time about, oh, is this still the same song, like half an hour later?
0: <laughs> yeah, because each song has like an arrow next to it, and exactly. it's nine <laughs> songs, 22 minutes. Did you go to a lot of concerts? Uh, I did when I was younger, yeah.
1: And I've actually gone, the Dead and Company the, the, that are out there now, really good. I mean, That's it's, with Bob Weir, right? It's, Bob, Weir, it's uh, Bob and Mickey and Billy, the three members, and then John Mayer is on guitar, and he kills it. I had no idea it was he with John Mayer. It. Jeff Comenti, keyboard player, has been with them for a long time, but he's awesome and big golfer. Oh, really? He loves golf. Do you play He's a good player. We haven't. We keep trying to get together and play, but we just Scheduling a for to... you
0: is the bane of your
1: existence. Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard. And then Otiel Burbridge is a bass player, and he used to play with the Allman Brothers. So it's a cool, it's a tight group, three younger guys, three older guys, and they're, they're killing it. They're really rocking right now, which is good.
0: So are you out there? Do you use Do you use Grateful Dead or any music, for that matter? Uh, involved? Is that ever involved in the inspiration? Are you ever out there just at at dawn? with some music. Yeah,
1: always. I'm always in the machine and I've got music going so it's generally going to be Dave Matthews or or Grateful Dead and just that's kind of the, those are the bands I like to listen to the most, but I've got a fairly eclectic playlist I'll go through. So I mean I I love music. That's kind of one of the fun things about Dave Matthews
0: going through a bit of a resurgence. I just need to say this, like yeah. I don't know, like I was hanging out with this I was hanging out with this kid the other day who's half my age, and he goes, I love Dave Matthews. And I was like, how do you even know who Dave Matthews
1: is? <laughs> yeah, he's getting a little bit of that. Um, what else don't they know about me? Uh, I don't know. I'm pretty silly, I think. What's yeah, your, that's a key thing.
0: You, yeah. you travel a lot. You travel, what, uh, 40 weeks here, 30, 35? Mm, yeah, pretty close to it. What is your craziest travel habit? You must have something really... Just, no, I,
1: Tracy always jokes with me. When I get in an airport, I walk, like, five times faster than normal. I'm, like, on a mission <laughs> to get through. It's just, like, get out of my way and just the right. whole security. Anything I can do to expedite getting through the airport and moving, Yeah. that's that's my big Favorite
0: thing. seat on the plane? Do you have a particular seat? I'm like? a big window guy. Window. I
1: love looking out and trying to find golf courses. Find golf courses. And, courses. Or just look at landforms or look at clouds or whatever. Yeah, I, I'm not a big aisle guy.
0: So— you were always creative. You're, you're, you're out there. You're, 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 in a sense, the most insane painter on earth, right? You're, you're painting a sculpture out of dirt. Yeah. Like, how on earth do you get into that job? Lucky. I mean, I really was. I, was, I studied
1: political science and history in school. Both. I'm passionate and I'm, I'm excited about both those, but that's one of those degrees where you go, okay, now what do you do? So right. you either go to law school or you go to grad school. So I went to grad school. I'd always doodle golf holes. My grandfather introduced me to the game, and I loved—I've never been any good at it, but I love golf, and I love the landscape, and I think part of it was being with him out there in it. And then my first you, semester— You would literally doodle golf
0: holes as yeah. a teenager Yeah, in your notebook? Yeah. And what were you thinking? Like, Because I never did that. I it, don't who, know. Did you do that, Colt? I <laughs> did. Okay. I mean, I look back now
1: at some of the stuff, like my thesis, my, uh, when I was at Cornell, and it, it's like, ugh. You know, it's one of those things where you're, you know, you're idealistic and you think this is the way things work, or you look at you you draw golf holes, and then you look at them 25 years later, and you go, whoa, that's not really any good. <laughs> but, um, and then I, I, so I was at Cornell my first semester in grad school, and I met a guy who was in in the landscape architecture program. So I was doing city and regional planning. And he was studying to be a golf course architect. And I thought, wow, I can actually do this for a living. And so I went home that night to Tracy, and I said, this is what I want to do. And she supported it. I transferred into landscape architecture, won the same scholarship that Tom Doak won, uh, got to spend a year in Great Britain. So we were six months in St. Andrews, six months in Oxford. And then I went to work for Tom. uh, Well, first summer was maintenance at the Country Club of Ithaca. Second summer was doing construction work. Picking up rocks and digging ditches for Tom Doak and, and this now, is your
0: first job. When you're picking up the rocks and digging the ditches, are you thinking are you literally thinking are you seeing your name in the sky? Are you saying Hans? No, no. Is he gonna be the guy? No, I is still he gonna, don't. Rio? I,
1: I still don't think that. I don't I mean right, But
0: unfortunately it's come to pass. Well <laughs> so <laughs> it's one of those
1: things where you, you you just you try and keep your head down and that's one of the things Jim and I have talked about forever, is just keep your head down, do good work and hopefully right. somebody'll notice. And that's was what my goal was there was Keep my head down, do whatever they ask me to do, and just hopefully Tom hang, will notice.
0: Hang on. do Oh, oh, do whatever Tom Doak asked you to do. Yeah, just oh, pick okay.
1: what, whether it was digging. Dig, you know, the, the thing that's that's probably the death knell for anybody who wants to be a golf course architect is any sort of sense of entitlement. Like I'm a really good amateur golfer, or I'm, I've got my degree in landscape architecture, or I worked in somebody's office. And then like they want to step out on site the first day and say, well, I know how to design a golf hole. You don't. I mean, it's one of those things. Pete Dye taught Tom that you need to learn how to build a golf hole before you can design one. Mm -hmm. Tom taught me. Pete taught Bill Kaur. Bill Kaur taught all his guys. I've taught all of the cavemen. We can get back to the cavemen in a second. So finishing that story real quick is that Bill Kittleman, the pro at Marion, he says, well, I I need a shovel or a rake. And the superintendent's taking all the tools. And so... He said, We've got nothing pro. And he grabs a stick and he starts chopping into the edge of a bunker to create this lip bunker lip for us to look at. And he smokes cigars back in the time. He takes a long dragon and he goes, Look at us, a bunch of fucking cavemen out here <laughs> building bunkers with sticks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where cavemen came from. And so Jim and I, when, we st- when it was time to sort of organize our shapers and our construction team and the guys that are responsible for all the creativity, out there, caveman was a perfect name. I so we call like, him the caveman.
0: I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna text Ben in a second and be like, yeah. "Your dad called you a caveman." <laughs> um, what kind What kind of watch are we rocking here for watch fans out there? It's, it's, uh, like a, nice it's a
1: Rolex. I don't know, black and blue. It's, it's a, a GMT Story
0: behind it? Just picked it up, gift.
1: Uh, gift. Nice. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's nice. It's a nice, and it's been through the wars. I wear it on construction sites. It probably needs a thorough cleaning, but it's, <laughs> it keeps keeps running. And uh,
0: yeah, it's it's fun. Right. What, um, how often do you get to play golf these days?
1: Not a lot, although I just went through the craziest stretch because our daughter got married last week, and uh, which is great. Thank you. It was a wonderful, wonderful day. And so we had friends and family in, so we got to play some golf, and I got progressively worse. I started out playing pretty well, and it just the more I played, the worse I got, but we had a good time.
0: That's a common thing I have found. You know, If you don't play for a week or two or three, first round, great.
1: Yeah. I think you're fo- – I, I, in my mind, I'm focused. I'm kind of really – trying. and then after a couple rounds, I'm like, all right, I don't need to focus anymore, and then it all goes to hell. You, uh,
0: do you keep a handicap? Do you care? I do. Yeah, it's right now 12.1 is my index. Okay. Yeah. Do you uh, – so – and and you, Pete Dye, not a great golfer. No, no, he was. He was? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah I thought, yeah, yeah. I thought he – I thought no, Alice was the golfer. No, he –
1: Pete – I think he played in – he may have played in the U.S. Amateur once or twice. I think Whoa. he may have. He, I think he—I don't want to say that he definitely won the Indiana State amateur, but he definitely—no, he was a good player.
0: Well, if there's someone who's going to mix up facts and figures on the podcast, yeah. it's actually—so <laughs> I'm glad I no, got that out of the way. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk about Rio. Yeah. So, so the Olympics, golf is back in after 102 years, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is now uh, three years ago now. They, they, the event takes place, whatever.
1: yeah. A little over two years, yeah.
0: And and I don't know how much of the story is actually public. I don't know how much I've heard that's secret. <laughs> were you the guy from the beginning? No, there was someone else. It was no, it was there were eight of us who competed. Eight competed. You you had to you had to propose a design,
1: right? And and this was the most rigorous um, thing I've ever gone through prior to normally. When you're brought in, the, the owner has like one or two guys he's thinking about, and he may ask you to sort of give you general thoughts on a routing or this and that. This one, and this is all eight of us. So you're talking about Jack Nicholas, Greg Norman. You're talking Holy about the shit. biggest names in the business had to literally prepare full designs, full budgets, full costing, grading plans. I mean, they had to go through the entire design process without any guarantee that
0: they were going to get the job. Yeah, and th- so this is at an expense to your company of exactly. 50, 60, 80,
1: 100. Well, we were... We shoestringed it. So we were able you. to get where we, it was still a stretch for us as a smaller company. But yeah, I'm sure some of the other companies spent the numbers you're talking about. Jeez. And then they brought all eight of us down there. We all made presentations. Individually or at the same time? Indivi- uh, four a day. So two in the morning. What? Two in the afternoon. Then the next day, two So in you're the literally there. You're like, it's like a fucking casting. It was, yeah. It was, it was intense. And I barely, I almost didn't make it because I lost my passport.
0: No. Yeah. So I'm getting ready. How do you not? You know you can get two of those. You can get a duplicate. Can I, Tracy? I look have two because <laughs> you know sometimes you're getting a visa for somewhere else. Yeah, and then you got the second one. Okay. Well, I may need to do that Sam's. now.
1: So yeah, I, I literally got into Rio of one o'clock. Our presentation was at one o'clock. I got to the hotel at eleven thirty, choked down a sandwich and a coke, and tried to kind of get dressed and take a quick shower. And were you on, nervous? No, honestly, it was maybe the best thing that ever happened. Because I was worried about getting there. I couldn't think for a second about how am I going to do in this presentation? How's (laughs) it going to go? And so as myself, Owen Larkin, who is our environmental consultant, and Amy Alcott, who is our design partner on it. The three of us were up in front of this panel, and we nailed it. I mean, it's one of those things where you walk out of the room, you're like, okay, we could not have done any better. And if we don't get it, at least we threw it all on the table, and it all worked out great. And ultimately we wound up getting it.
0: How much longer, how much time passed after that meeting?
1: About six weeks. So uh,
0: initially they were
1: supposed to make a decision the next day, but this is Brazil. Well, so this (laughs) is, this is
0: what gets into the heart of my questioning. This is Brazil and there's a lot more. This is Brazil yeah going so on
1: it was basically a precursor for what was going to happen for the entire project and all the delays and everything all the feet have you know, foot dragging you
0: now I, I don't want to put you on the spot but there must be a story that you can at least maybe not take credit for but i mean some crazy stuff happened i mean it was yeah. it was borderline uh you know
1: yeah i mean there was a lot of there was a lot of craziness and part of it was a you know Tracy and our youngest daughter, Kaylee, had come down. We put her in school down there. And wow. The longest, you know, the, it, we thought we'd be there for a year. It turned out to be two years. And so after seven months, we looked at each other and just said we've got to, you know, because their school year is different. So it was kind of their, this would have been late June, early July, which was their midpoint of their school year. So it was either we finish this out or we just send you guys go home and then we, you know, get her to start school again in September on her normal timeline and then i'll just commute back and forth so that was that was probably the hardest part of the whole thing was that not only had i brought myself into this situation i brought my family into it and i i lost a lot of weight i had some stomach issues yeah it was from the food no just from stress stress and i'm a pretty chill guy (laughs) yeah you're even (laughs) as as I'm, i'm probably too old to even say that Can't use the word chill. Uh, You say chill; it's
0: good. It's coming. It's becoming uncool again. Okay, good. So
1: perfect. It's a dad line now. (laughs) Hey, by the way, you guys are chill. Yeah. Um, So it was. Yeah, and it was. It was very stressful. But I was. It was mainly the main issue was that we knew what we had to do, and we were not being given the resources to do it. Right. And you're just standing there going, "All right, listen, this is a fairly important golf course to get done, and
0: there is a hard timeline on this. We can't just." Waste time here. It, is the rumor that the, there were some knives being used that were stolen from a restaurant to cut the sod? Is yeah, this that's what, true? Can you tell me that story?
1: So we, um, the the landowner, also owned a hospital right next, right across the road from the site, and so we would eat lunch in the hospital the hospital cafeteria Whoa. every day. <laughs> yeah, that sounds kind of grim. It was pretty grim. Every uh, beef stroganoff. Whenever it was beef stroganoff, we were like fired up. As a like, yes,
0: like this is so interesting to me. So so here, every pl- every golfer on planet Earth, here's your name, and all they think of is Emirates first class. No no. They think fucking lunch with you know um, whoever. No. But here you are in a hospital eating cafeteria hospital
1: eating <laughs> eating Brazilian food, whatever would come out, and then and literally we took. We had no knives to cut the sod. They just, so we grabbed some steak knives from the cafeteria and stuck them in our backpacks and left with them. So we at least had something to work with.
0: And and now the people that are cutting the sod are not professional, no. uh, you know. No, I mean, these guys, I
1: mean, part of what, I mean, the people that worked with us on site were terrific. I mean, they were earnest, they were trying to do, but they had never, they didn't know anything about building a golf They didn't even know what a golf course looked like. Right. So in their minds, they're just looking at us like, what are you? You, know, you guys are crazy. What do you mean do this or do that? So it was it was about nine months of that. And then eventually, uh, I think the the IOC had, had basically given Rio an ultimatum. If you don't get your act together, not just the golf course, every venue, we may have to pull out Whoa. and go somewhere else. And I think at, from that point forward, whatever political pressure came forward at that point in time, it's like a button was pushed and the golf project went on like it should have from mm-hmm. day one. We finally got the resources. People finally started listening to us, et cetera, et cetera. And it, and it turned out well.
0: Oh, you shrugged. When you go down there, is, 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 is your experience of looking at your um, creation clouded with experience or, or is the actual product not what you wanted? To no,
1: look? no. The shrug was because I felt funny saying it turned out well. I I mean I I don't like to tout our own work. It, it, ah, it I see. so You're, it was just kind of uncomfortable. You mean it it's turned just, out
0: great, but it, it, a lot mean, of people you didn't I'm I'm sound
1: like our president. A lot of people said it turned out great. Right. So. right.
0: Well, I've never <laughs> been there. Um I'm looking forward to going. I, we you know, in we do we do a golf travel show and and we had we had talked about going to Brazil because yeah. it really did make a lot of sense as far as the really interesting cultural implications of having a golf course there. Um, but I will say that everything I've heard
1: since, uh, some of our shapers were down there last year and played it and it's in great shape. I've got a couple of friends who play it almost every week and they say the conditioning's terrific. It's fine. Everything's good about it. So right. we're very proud of that fact. And, and I will, the, the two weeks of the tournament didn't quite make up for the two and a half years of construction, sort of all the heartache, but it was really close. I mean, to get two great champions, to have, the men's winning score be sixteen under. The women's winning score be sixteen under. Three men double digits under par. Three women double digits under par. Six different nations getting six different medals. I mean, it almost could not have turned out better. The Superintendent Neil Cleverly did a phenomenal job presenting the golf course. We we couldn't have been prouder of those two weeks and the way it went.
0: Whoa! You just said something that has never occurred to me. Has that ever occurred to you, Colt? Just just the idea that I mean, I, I've heard them talk about it during, you know, for example, US opens and stuff like that, when they say, Oh, you know, winning scores should be even, et cetera. But it is interesting to hear you talk about nationalities and sort of men's and women's finishing scores, but then groupings of scores. I don't know, it's interesting. I never
1: yeah well, That's because a lot because yeah, a lot of what was talked about was how are you going to design a golf course that is going to be equally challenging for the men and the women? Uh-huh. You know where and, and most people say, well, you just move the ladies up. Well, no, because if you if they wind up hitting to the exact same landing areas as the men, well, then the men are hitting a seven iron and they're hitting a five iron or a hybrid. So you've got to stagger not only the T's, you have to stagger the landing areas. Well, if you stagger the landing areas, How do you put bunkers that are in play for the women and or in play for the men? And how does that whole, you know, how does everything work its way through the golf course for the two different groups? And so the fact we were able to think that through well enough and present a challenge that weighed out equal in the end was pretty cool.
0: All right, everybody got a got a read here from Ben Hogan Golf. When legendary golfer Ben Hogan founded his equipment brand in 1953, he proclaimed his products would offer, quote, the best performing design, the best feel for contacting the golf ball, and the best eye appeal. Hmm, I like that eye appeal. Today, 65 years later, the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company remains committed to delivering a superior product line. And thanks to a unique factory-direct business model, Ben Hogan handcrafted, custom-made forged irons, wedges, hybrids, and utility clubs are available for hundreds of dollars less than golfers would pay for competitive products through traditional retail stores. Backed by risk-free demo and trade-in programs, golfers can enjoy best-in-class golf equipment, including the acclaimed Fort Worth black and white irons, edge irons, or the popular equalizer wedges, all developed and manufactured using Mr. Hogan's proprietary club building process. That's right. Tour quality custom Ben Hogan golf clubs for a fraction of what competitive products would cost at retail. Don't pay unnecessary middleman markup. Visit BenHoganGolf.com and use the discount code Eric for ten percent off your order. Visit BenHoganGolf.com and play with the quality and craftsmanship that Ben Hogan golf equipment is famous for. That's BenHoganGolf.com discount code Eric E R I K for ten percent off your order. Check them out. Adidas golf shoes, y'all uh my favorite pair i'm gonna go with Pure. i like the tour 360 knit yeah the knit one check out what dj's wearing and get into that my guy nothing compares to a pair that i wear on the course every time i play it's true y'all i don't miss not being able to wear any other golf shoe because contractually i can only wear adidas at this point but the truth is i couldn't imagine a better situation and you know what a little behind the scenes i went to adidas and i was like look guys Let me not wear any other golf shoe ever. And they were like, yes, sir. And I was like, yes. And then my agent was like, this contract is signed. Anyway, now all I wear is Adidas, and I couldn't be happier. Comfort and stability is hard to find in golf shoes, but Adidas delivers every time, quite literally every goddamn time. I've worn... I've had so many friends tell me how comfortable their golf shoes are, how uncomfortable their golf shoes are. And I always tell them, buy Adidas, Boost, and my guy. Get into the Boost, y'all. Literally. It's very easy for me to talk about them because I actually like them. You can't beat Boost. It's so comfortable. So basically, Adidas golf shoes and then there's basically Adidas golf shoes and then there's every other brand. True facts. No comparison. Adidas golf shoes every time, my guy. You can buy a pair at your local retailer or visit adidas.com and go to the golf section. Because where else do you want to go on adidas.com? You only want to go to the golf section to buy golf shoes. Also, follow adidas.com. I'm sorry. Follow Adidas Golf on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook for all the latest news and releases. Oh, big update. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town, where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out, and now check out this podcast. What? Well, let's switch a little bit. Yeah. So, so you are kind of if 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 you're a part of the X Men, right? Right. You've got. <laughs> you got a crew uh you're all kind of engaged in the same fight you're mm-hmm. waging a war against whatever happened in a couple decades ago right you're 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 kind of there's this movement in golf course architecture towards the past ironically or or towards minimalism like why is that why is that happening and wh- or why did it not happen or or what what or what do you think is the most interesting part about that aspect
1: well i think part of it is that when Bill Coor and Ben Crenshaw did sand hills, it it was the first sort of prime example of what minimalism could be on a on a great, great site. I mean Tom Doak was was doing it before Sand Hills, but not on a great site. Mm. And once Sandhills hit and clicked, then that led to Bandon, and then that led to all this sort of destination golf or finding great sites. For the longest time, people weren't finding sites for golf courses to build great golf. They were finding sites for golf courses to build an amenity Mm. for something
0: else. Housing.
1: Housing, primarily. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it from that standpoint, that's where I think golf went wrong. And then you also look at... You know, the architects of the golden era didn't have the implement. They didn't have bulldozers or, you know, backhoes or big trucks or pans. They couldn't move the dirt. Well, golden
0: but, era specifically? Sort of,
1: te- you know, from 1900 to 1930, okay. mid-30s. Pre- and pre-steam
0: uh, machines. Right.
1: Okay, And so after that, after the war, after World War II, the golf architect's at that time, it was almost a counter reaction to well, these guys did all this stuff at very minimalism. We're, now look at us. We're a big, big country. We just won a great war. We've got all this equipment in our hands. We've got all this machinery. Let's change the landscape to fit golf instead of fitting golf to the landscape.
0: So they were like the Pete Dyes of there of 100 years ago. Right.
1: And they, they started that progression and of. And is
0: characterized by. Uh,
1: more Robert Trent Jones, I think, in that, that era. Um, yeah, I think he would probably be the primary one. And Pete Dye was a bit more of a reaction to that building smaller, more intricate stuff yet still artificial. I mean, it was primarily based on stylistically, McDonald and Rayner, more mm. angular, et cetera, and his experiences in Scotland. So Pete was a, he was a counter to the Trent Jones school of thought. And so then you get into golf going crazy, four hundred <laughs> golf courses being built a year and, and all, you know, every new housing development needed a golf course. And so then so you've got all these things leading up to a point where the tipping point, all of a sudden Sandhill shows up and people go, wait a second, uh-huh. we've forgotten about this. And then somebody as talented as Bill Coor and Ben Crenshaw and Tom Doak leading the way, then the rest of us kind of believe this from the start and now we're getting opportunities, like the Mike DeVries, Jim Urbina's of the world are getting opportunities to work on sites like this. And, you know, it's it's a function of... of a belief in in like we talked about right at the start, building golf first, getting the soul of the game right before you worry about it, all the other extraneous stuff that goes along with it. And if you're focused on that, and somebody gives you a really good piece of ground to do that on, the results should be good.
0: When when you look at Sand Hills as maybe a lesson or something, or, or I don't know, maybe you, I never realized that Sand Hills was kind of a, you know a stake in the ground on some level when you you know when you think about golf in Scotland versus golf in America does sandhills have any um, example there that we can take away as as potentially a, 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 listening to this
1: well I think the roots of the game <clears throat> at sandhills and what they're what they were attempting to do were all founded in Scotland. I mean, it's just that belief in golf and the game and the elements and being out in the wind and the, the rain and battling not only the architect but battling the terrain, battling the, the elements. That was a key part of it. But Sandhills, and different from golf in Scotland, and part of where I think the American game went wrong, I mean, the two main things I think is that it became uh, an exclusive game in this country where you know even Sandhills is an exclusive private club. Um, I was
0: driving by. I tried to go to the bathroom. They
1: said no. No. So there you go. <laughs> um, and and then golf carts being the second, you know, two things that we've introduced to the game that I don't think ha- are at the heart and soul of of the game of golf as it comes from Scotland. Whereas Scotland, your membership in a club is primarily based on where you live. I mean, if you live in you know, our dearest friend Graham at Crail, if you live in Crail, you can be a member of the club whether you're a lawyer, a judge, or a plumber, or a you know a, a Dishwasher. It doesn't matter what your social standing is, or your because it's affordable and it's it's there for golf. It's incredibly affordable. It is, and that's the way it should be. So I think, with the exception of that sort of private club model, Sandhills is it's a great it's a great throwback <clears throat> design wise for for Scotland, and it, and it certainly embraced the the spirit of the game. How do you?
0: Yeah, go ahead. Take a drink. Um, that's
1: a, I'm a soft spoken guy. Usually I kind of run out of steam, but I'm, I'm enjoying this. This is good, man.
0: No, this is, you just hit on something very near and dear to my heart, which is, uh, you know, I was a member at Wilshire for three years in LA. Great course, whatever. Mm-hmm. Great, great membership. Went to Scotland now five times. Colt and I went for two and a half weeks uh, in September, you know, and how, you know, the, the highlighting. Highlighting those differences you just mentioned, the three the three big differences, carts, uh, membership, and, you know, kind of playing in nature a little bit more open. How do you emotionally deal with that as a human living in America and you're finding yourself almost in a house that's infested, I'm sorry, by these things? Yeah. Right? How do you deal with that? Because I, I deal with it and I can't make it out to Rustic Canyon every fucking day. Yeah. I can't make it, you know, like I can't, you know, afford to join LACC tomorrow. Well,
1: we get to, a, I mean, from our standpoint, we try to design golf courses that are easily walked. Um, let the ter- Let the transition from green to tee be really simple and really accessible. Uh, work with the terrain as opposed to against it. That's, right. Those are two things that we work with. We really really try hard to make all of our golf courses walker-friendly. I get it that some people need a car to play golf, and I would never begrudge them that opportunity, but so many people do it just for convenience, yeah. and that's not right.
0: And, and strangely, it sort of encourages a different type of golf, yeah. which is like sort of uh, I don't—I love music on the course, but it encourages like a different kind of music, <laughs> well, or, like, yeah. or, like two, or like a ton of beers, or yeah. like, you know, I don't know.
1: Jim and I talk about it golf at 55 miles an hour. You know, golf is supposed <laughs> to be four miles an hour. Right. And you're supposed to feel the ground under your feet and, and be in touch and contact with the golf course and, and your shots. And when you're just moving through that landscape, you don't notice the subtleties. You don't notice the nuances. You don't notice a lot of the things. I mean, every, almost every square foot of a golf course that we build, somebody's given some thought to it or it's just, you know, or at least put their hands on it to, to make it work. And so I think, you know, if you're not observing that, you're missing a lot of the picture that was been, that was painted by, yeah. by all of us. So I think that that's, <clears throat> that's unfortunate uh, when, when people play golf that way, unless
0: they need to. Is there a way to fix that? No. There just is no way. It's incurable. It's treatable, but not curable.
1: It's so ingrained in the golf culture in this country, and it's so ingrained in the golf economy in this country, which is probably even more not, it's more important to why it won't happen. is because everybody, a lot of clubs, a lot of courses rely on cart revenue to make up the difference, and they're not ever going to be willing to give that up.
0: Well, and even, you know, pace of play. I, I'm not, I think you
1: can play just as fast walking if the golf course is set up. I mean, if you've got to, you know, go between houses to get from, you know, go a quarter of a mile to get from a tee to a green, then you're right. But, right. You're moving, you know, if you and I are in a cart and you've hit it left and I've hit it right, well, now we got to go left and we got to go right to yeah. get to, to that as opposed to you going your way and me going mine. The other part of it is the social aspect of the game. Golf is always meant to be enjoyed, whether it's, if it's two of us, well, we, I guess we can be social in a cart, but if it's four of us, we probably rarely ever get to talk to the other two guys except when we're on the green, right, and on the tee. Whereas if you're, le- you know, you, you wander, you talk to the people who are playing close to where your ball is, and I think that's, Hopefully you're in the, you're out in this beautiful landscape playing this great game with people you want to be with, and then in theory you should you know you should have a lot of fun talking and being able to engage with all all four instead of just the the other person in the cart with you.
0: I w- I would love to keep talking about this, but on some level I feel like. It's just going to be depressing. What uh, do people ever try to ask you? What the what your favorite project that you've ever done is? And and while you answer, I'm just going to refer to some other questions I have on my phone. Yeah,
1: no worries. Um, you know, we had a lot of fun uh, building Boston Golf Club. Hmm. Um, I
0: still haven't been there. I'm looking forward to that one. No,
1: thanks. Yeah, we're excited about it. the owner. Uh, owners gave us a great landscape to work with. It was earlier on in our career, so we had a little more time. Um, and the owners were they definitely said take all the time you need which was great. And uh, what they, is that what does that
0: mean take all the time you need is that is that is that what does that turn into? It turned into a 2 year build solid yeah. as opposed to a average year and a half probably in that climate cuz you can only
1: you can only seed grass up until like early September and get it to catch before it gets too cold. So we took two full seasons and there was literally a golf hole the fourteenth hole was the one hole we couldn't solve. It was, you know, it was not a natural piece of ground and we needed to build something there. We even brought Bill Coor over. He came over from Old Sandwich and we just walked it and we're like, Bill, what do you think? And he he unlocked it. He said, Well, what haven't you built yet? Think about that and that might be where
0: you start. What does he mean? What haven't you built? You mean what what, what is on your bucket list as a designer? No, no, there's
1: seventeen holes already built. Is there anything that you haven't done yet in those other 17 holes that you would like to do on this golf course as opposed to repeating yourself and, you know, having a.
0: Another dog, short part for Yeah, it. dog yeah.
1: leg left or dog leg right. And we didn't have any fall away greens. And he said, there you go. And the land all fell in that direction. So now it's a hole where you got to land the ball short and let it feed onto the green. And so, I love, I yeah, love landing the ball short. I do too. So it was, and the owner said, listen, I don't care if we have to open with 17 holes. You got to get this hole right. We can't have one bad hole. Right, and so we that was kind of when he said take all the time you need. And then um, we just finished this golf course down in Georgia, a Hoopy Match Club, and it was we had a blast. So the last three years, Tracy, our kids are out of the house now. We've been able to we lived in Florida when we were building Stream and Black. We lived in Savannah when we were doing a Hoopy Match Club, and we loved Savannah. So it was great going home at night. It was you know we had a good time in Savannah, and the site was fantastic. The owner was great and really kind of let us go with a cool concept so that would be another of our favorites
0: that's awesome um i got a question from a guy on instagram he says uh i love playing soul park in ojai but i was always curious did you just redesign the green complexes or was there more to it either way thanks because that course is a fucking gem (laughs) thanks yeah so there was the big floods out there
1: i can't remember was it oh five i think um and a lot of the golf course got washed away oh so we had to go out and repair those holes. And then the um, the guy who was the uh, leasing it from the county had gotten some insurance money. And he said, all right, well, what else would you do to Soul Park if you could? And so we rebuilt all the green complexes. We moved bunkers around. We changed some tees. So it was a pretty thorough redesign of the golf course within the same envelope. We couldn't go outside of that, but we had a lot of leeway.
0: It's a very special place. That was, I played that course very early on and like, a year after I started playing golf, and I remember I, I, I'm looking forward to going back because I feel like I've learned how to see, you know?
1: That's cool. Yeah, Ojai was great, too. We loved spending a summer in Ojai. It was
0: really nice. It's a cool spot. Yeah. Uh, this is my, from my friend Paul. Um, is it true that whilst... This is a British friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not British. Scottish, I'm sorry. No, he is British. He lives in Scotland. Is it true that whilst designing the Craighead course at Crail Golfing Society that you got drunk with a local farmer from whom he was trying to buy land to build the 17th hole. Once the agreement was in place, Gil returned the land and then designed the 17th green, which now has to be one of the toughest par threes in golf from the back tees.
1: I think it is true. I'm <laughs> trying to remember that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I
1: remember drinking a lot over there, and I think that, yeah, that that actually is very true. Yeah, I remember the farmer. Um, I can't think of his name right now, but I do remember going because John Young was the guy in charge of the project from uh, for Crail and he had a great little house in town and the farmer came over and we spent a lot of time I think we started off drinking beer and graduated to whiskey pretty quick <laughs> and then it was over. But that's true. That and is then, true. Story. And then he
0: gave you the property. Yes. Are the Scots very open with their property, especially with the right to roam? I, I you know property in America is such a razor sharp deal. Is it yeah. the same? Um I remember him being accommodating, but the the Scots
1: have a reputation for being shrewd, and it wasn't it wasn't like a slam dunk. Right. I can't remember what he got out of it, but he, I do remember him. Yeah, because there's so right behind the 17th green is like a, there's a listening post or some kind of uh, electrical deal for uh, the Navy, and so he owned the land. Just it was really weird, just kind of an out parcel stuck there in the mm. middle of it, and we we needed that ground in order to get a little more elevation for the green.
0: Nice. Yeah. I, when we were in Scotland last, I was really, um, I was actually relieved that we didn't have time to play Castle Stewart. Okay. Because I wanted to do that with more time. You know what I mean? You know, you know. It's I don't know if you're the same way, but when you're traveling, and you don't have time. It's like you're almost relieved when you don't have time to squeeze that one thing in, because yeah. then you know you'll do it the right way. Right way.
1: You might talk about good projects. That was another great one. Mark Parson and who was our design partner and the owner of Castle Stewart we learned a lot from him. That was a really cool team because he's he is as intense from a planning and, and I mean, he's just super type A. And we were we're a little bit more looser loose and we just kind of like to make stuff up as we go out on site and figure it out. And so the confluence of the two was awesome. We were so prepared going into it and we were, and, we, and then Mark, he enjoyed the creativity, embraced that whole thing. So I think it was, it was a great partnership. And a couple, I mean, the one thing that, that that Mark taught us, and I always find that this to be a really interesting um, concept, he talked about thinking about a golf course from the per- perspective of the third shot of the average golfer on a par four. Because rarely do we hit the green in regulation. You know, most golfers don't. What are they facing? when they, You know, what are they facing? Is it something that they can overcome that they can. And Mark used this phrase, and we still use it to this day. And, and like I said, we learned a ton from him. He said, keep the golfer hopeful and engaged. Whoa. If you keep them hopeful and engaged, then they're in the game. If they're in their pocket, or they're just like, I can't get out of this, or there's no way I'm going to hit this shot. And you failed. Exactly. So
0: yeah. That's interesting. Uh, do you? I don't want you to bash on anyone, but maybe there's a, a way of looking at this as a learning experience. Where do you see that not happening?
1: Um, you know, I think sometimes we have to be careful when you, when you've got a, a good piece of ground and you're, you know, you're trying to create hazards that are impactful and you okay. got to remember sometimes that, Hey, how am I, how's, how would I get out of this as, you right. know, as a 13 handicap or et cetera. And so, uh, you know, we can, we can fall prey to that sometimes. And well, I, I mean,
0: you know, you've got, uh, is it 14 at rustic where you've got the 200 yard carry to have the fairway? Yep. Yeah. You've got that. I mean, that's- that's baller.
1: Yeah, you gotta hit it. T- so Bill Kittleman always said this too. Um the you know, the old pro Mary the guy who came up with the caveman. He said, you know what? <laughs> Every time we talk about he says, sometimes, Sonny, you just gotta hit a golf shot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love it. Um all right. Uh, um, so here we go. This is a question from John Thompson. Is that what this is? So John Thompson asks, uh, when recording when renovate- that
1: basketball coach, John is- Thompson? <laughs>
0: be impressive. When renovating a course designed by an old master architect, do you feel like you owe some deference to the original design, or do you feel the need to change things to bring an old course into the modern era? Complete deference. Okay. 100%. We don't... We will shift things, you know, we'll shift
1: T locations if it doesn't make the golf course, you know, disconnected. You know, we talk about that compact nature of walking, and if the... If you've got to walk 80 yards back to a tee and then walk the same 80 yards, we wouldn't do that. But if it's 25 or 30 and we can retain the original angle of play from the original architect, we would do something like that. So we're not – we'll definitely move things in order to fit them in, but it's always with reference to the original architect. If if Tillinghast had a bunker 220 yards down the right-hand side of a hole – and we could move that to 300 yards now and still have a fit in the landscape and not be blind over a ridge or something. We would do that because the intent was clear that he was trying to guard that side of a hole, et cetera. But we we rarely, if ever, deviate from the original plan. It's been a great, great model for us. It's been a lot of success. We just kind of figure out what the old dead guys did and put it back. And hmm. it works. <laughs> I love it. Because they were great. I mean, we think about this. We keep coming back to that same first conversation. But it's just... All they cared about was golf. It was creating good golf holes and, and and there for the game. There was nothing else that they were worried about. And they were frequently given good pieces of ground or sometimes great pieces of ground. And they always did the most they could with it.
0: Well, I mean, it's it's cool because when I feel like when, you know, one of the things you've done as sort of like a celebrity chef is you've sort of, been able to make the decision to say, I'm only going to work on projects that have that attribute where it's all about the golf. Um, and that's just so, it, it's it's a relief.
1: Well, we're lucky. I mean, there are a lot of guys who would like to do that. And there were probably a lot, and well, not probably, there were definitely a lot of projects early on in our career that we needed to use as stepping stones that we would look at now and go, oh my God, I can't believe we did this or we had to work with under these, you know, these types of constraints, but you do what you have to do. And we're lucky. I mean, we're in that sweet spot now where we can pick and choose um, and we can be focused on projects that we think are going to have a lot of success. And, or working with clubs that, you know, sometimes we frequently we don't, wanna, don't need to work on the best golf course in town. We want to work at the best club in town. What does that mean? A club that has a high golf IQ and gets it. I mean, and ah,
0: it, they're going to allow you to pull trees.
1: Well, yeah, that's part of the, but no, it's just, it's, it's ones where there's going to be an appreciation for what we're attempting to do. And that doesn't always have to mean that there's a tournament or a major championship involved with that. It in doesn't, fact, that
0: might even, that might even detract from your ability. Exactly.
1: It's, it's the places like, um, Gulf Mills in Philadelphia, which is a quiet old club that we just are so happy to be, to be working at. It's a place like Waverly in Portland, Oregon, that's Never going to host the U.S. Open, but it's just such a cool Chandler Egan golf course in a beautiful setting. And it's a a great club. And those are the types of places that we really gravitate towards. And, and, you know, we're fortunate to get, don't get me wrong, we get to work at the the Marions and the Wingfoots and the L.A. Country Clubs. But we're just as excited about the St. George's on Long Island as we are about those
0: types of clubs. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, what is your favorite part of your job?
1: Um, Working in the bulldozer. Really? Yeah. Do you, like to,
0: do you jump in the fucking, is it a Caterpillar? Yeah, generally. Caterpillar or pre-
1: John Deere. Do you have a preferred model? Uh be a D5 or, or a John Deere 550. Why? Size is about right. You can push if you need to, but it's small enough that they're nimble enough to do the shaping. What do you mean push? Like if you really need to move some dirt, you Oh, can, you, can, you can do you it. You can move a couple tons.
0: What yeah. do you call them? Cubic yards? Yeah, cubic yards. You can push some, or we just call it. Shit tons of dirt. Shit tons. You can move shit tons with a D5. So your favorite job is, is – is, how does the dozer smell? Like diesel? Depends if you've got one
1: of those, like, fruity things hanging from the, 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 <laughs> the, the air fresheners. fresheners. <laughs> Wait, do they
0: have that in a bulldozer? Oh, of course. No way. I mean, you can if you want to. Because I'm know. picturing a bulldozer as alfresco. you know, yeah, got no, no windows. No, we
1: don't do that. We, I don't generally do the uh... – no, you to? have windows. Yeah, you can open the cab. Oh, okay. You definitely can. There's air conditioning. There's heating. I mean, they've – we, used to, I was just on a bulldozer at West Hampton Country Club, and it was one from like that I've been running with the same contractor since the 1990s. And he's and I'm like, really, no upgrade? There's no cab. But is West There's Hampton
0: no... the Rainer? Yeah, That's yeah. A, wait, you're working there now. We restored it. Yeah,
1: when. Uh, about five or six years ago.
0: Oh, okay. You, I thought you meant just like as in this. Oh, no, no.
1: I'm working there now. We're doing, uh, sorry, we're working on their uh, practice area. Dude, that place is cool. Yeah, it's a neat spot. I got we shot really like out there spot. without
0: having any idea what to expect. And I was like, this course is different. Who designed this? I'm, I like to not know shit. Yeah, And they're like, this guy's right. Seth Rayner. I was like, this thing is amazing. Yeah.
1: You will never find, I dare you to find somebody who plays a Seth Rayner course and goes, oh, I hated that. Fox Chapel? That may have been more because of... The work that was done to it the Rainers. <laughs> Colt
0: and I are heading there on
1: Saturday. So Fox he... Chapel's awesome. Okay. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant you didn't like it. No, no, I'm, oh, no, I'm question sorry. mark. I don't know. Oh no, you're gonna love it. It's a very cool golf course. It's a um every, every Rainer course is just
0: fun. Is he one of your favorites? Yeah,
1: he is. And there's you know, I talk about a guy who, he barely he rarely ever played golf. Everything he knew about golf he learned from Charles Blair McDonald. So he was probably like a twenty handicap or thirty. I mean he rarely played golf at all, but he got it right. I'm freaking out right now,
0: dude. <laughs> I'm just having so much fun because you you fucking did Sleepy Hollow, man. Yeah. You was... undid the doing, and you and you. Well, how do you how do you word that to yourself? Because you don't want to be rude, I know. Yeah. But what do you say?
1: We're just trying. I mean, that was a tricky one because you had holes by Tillinghast, who's one of the greatest architects of all time, and then you had you know the eleven remaining holes on the on the main course on the upper course by McDonald and Rainer, and so we had to sell the club to say, listen, we think converting the tilling households to look and feel more like Raynor mcdonald and then getting the templates that were lost because they sold off property a long time ago uh, getting them back in was important and they agreed and then we just had to go to work on figuring out which holes fit where and how everything tied together and ben hillard was our associate on the project and he did a great job working with the club and it was, it was a cool project we were just there we just played there um cool. 10 days ago and it was Awesome! I mean, really had a lot of fun.
0: So for those of listening to the podcast that aren't familiar, Sleepy Hollow has the signature sixteenth square-ish green. You close your eyes as I said it. And is like that, the word signature? Is, is, <laughs> oh, he doesn't like the word signature. No, but I. Just, why not? Because then that that
1: denotes that all the other holes are not nearly as good, and I don't agree. I think there are a lot. They're actually better holes. There. That's the one that takes the best picture.
0: Well, and this is actually why I brought that up is. Is 16 your favorite hole at Sleeping Hollow?
1: Um, no, I like 15 before it. I love the punch bowl right in front of it. It's such, so much fun. And I think the road hole, the new road hole that we did, number 8, is really pretty. It's a good, good golf hole. It's eight hard. Is
0: on the way to the par 3 out there by the lake? Yeah, so 8
1: and then 9 up to
0: the knoll hole and
1: then par 3, 10th down the lake. Uh, okay, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, 8th okay. yeah.
0: the fairway narrows down into a pinch. Yeah. Right, I remember that was we hit good drives on. It. I played with Tom Coyne there. Okay, cool. Yeah, that was fun. We talked yeah. about Scotland a lot. Um, fuck, dude, you just got me fired up now. Like, <laughs> I, I, I feel like we need to end because I don't want to wear you down. I, mm. I know this is like mentally taxing. Um, uh, no, I'm fine. And I think we need to leave the room soon. But but uh, I love 15 at Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. I was like, ah, so excited that we both feel that way. So my
1: father in law was there and pl- I was playing with him. And, and, uh, After he hit his ball, he didn't know where to hit it. And I said, You know, there's the flag just down the punch bowl. And he went over and he goes, This looks like a Gil Hands hole if I ever saw (laughs) one. Because he knows we love to build blind stuff and stuff that you got to figure out. It takes time to figure out and play it multiple times before you get it. So it was
0: pretty cool. Aside from Castle Stewart, uh, favorite course in Scotland? The old course. Really? I love the old course. A lot of architects wouldn't agree with you, you say? Yeah, no. well, they'd be wrong. What do you? Bam! Bam! <laughs> Fucking straight up. What is it about? Um, well, well. I so guess get, I'm wondering what goes into your definition of why is that your favorite?
1: Well, part of it is just you know, obviously the history is. Is but it's it's the fact that it was nobody planned it or laid it out. It just happened to be that this was the sort of the the natural flow of the land, and people selected these places to start and finish golf holes. Uh, the vagaries of the golf course and how much it changes every time you play it, it's never the same um, just because of the elements that are out there and the, all the rumple and the rolls and the randomness. I love the word random when it comes to golf architecture. I think there's not enough randomness in in golf architecture. I think, you know, we try to, th- even though I mentioned before, we think about everything, but sometimes we try to think how, how would random actually occur and, right. and try to make that happen. So I think... Uh, the bumps and the bounces, the fact that it just is there and it works strategically for every class of golfer, and then it's just the fun factor is off the charts. Right. And but I mean, I love North Berwick. I sure, love sure. Prestwick, sure. I love you know, I love the funkier, quirkier golf courses. I recognize the greatness of a Muirfield or a Dornick, but but the old course is always where I come back to. It's people always ask that question. Where would you? So it's the old course in. Would be number one and then in this country be national golf links. I just
0: My fucking man, dude. (laughs) Did you see that? God damn.
1: (laughs) Ah, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, it's just it's about fun for me, and it's about just you know, every time you play national, it's just a different experience. And it's just it's I always walk off there with a huge smile. Tracy always kids me. I, I almost get shaky when i'm going to national because i i just get like nervous and nervous excitement of going out there because your car
0: is going to get scraped on your way through the gate
1: yeah maybe (laughs) maybe my pickup truck is pretty close (laughs) to getting scraped but it's just it's that anticipation and just every every round there is magic
0: what have you learned anything specifically from national that you brought with you into scale Scale. What do you yeah, mean? just the size of National. How it fits that property
1: so well. The features are big. The fairways are big. The rolls are big. I think at uh, and Black, Jim and I talked a lot about National Golf Links and the scale of it, and mm-hmm. just how big. You know, we had a big piece of property, and how did you know McDonald make National work on a big piece of property
0: like that? Yeah, National does a good job of feeling big. Yeah, it feels massive. And and what's funny is on the first hole, it feels tiny. Yeah. Right. First hole, you're like, eh, no problem. And then all of a sudden you're like one two three and you're like I'm I have no idea where we're going, <laughs> and then and then you kind of poetically end up at the ninth and you're like huh oh. yeah it's really you know I was I was um we played number two this morning and we did something weird where we started on four we skipped nine ten eleven twelve and and yeah well it was because we were trying to squeeze okay. in between play okay. and I was thinking about it fully enjoying our experience we had a great time but I realized something is that. We we missed a part. You know, and, and we, we didn't read the entire book. Every every great golf course or every architect talk thinks about
1: flow and pacing in their round of golf. And you know, when you play from one through eighteen you you see what the architect wants you to see from a pacing. Whenever you do a shotgun and you start somewhere in the middle of a golf course oh, or I hate you that. You're not you're not like you said, you're not you're starting in the middle of the book and then having to go back and read the beginning. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's that's an important
0: part of the overall. We um, we uh, we played with the maintenance crew this morning, essentially, because okay. we didn't really we didn't really want to jump ahead, and so gotcha. they were watching us kind of hit our sh- and, and it was just a fun time, and we were and we were kind of. We played extra slow almost. Okay, but anyway, we've was, done that on course number two
1: when we were living here. Yeah, you know, because fact, you eventually yeah. you catch up to you know you catch up to the guys who are teeing off on ten. Yeah, so you got to you get to ninth hole and you have to wait for a half hour yeah. if you play too fast. So you and did you, have you played with no pins? Uh, I have. Yeah, actually, we have in the evenings um, when they pick the pins out. So when we were building course number four, I mean, it was what a great luxury to have number two here and have the the resort you know be accommodating to letting us all of us go out and play whenever we. Not whenever we wanted, but, you know, frequently. And so there were some evenings where we'd be just like, hey, let's go out and knock out as many holes as we can. And the pins were already—they were gone. Yeah. And it was just fun. It was, like, liberating And almost. when you
0: say um, walk out, you're, you're the, the the beginning of that mm-hmm. sentence that you didn't mention is walk out of Donald Ross's house, yeah, his cabin. Was,
1: um, yeah, we had the great, <laughs> great fortune. I mean, we've been really lucky in, in a lot of what we do, but per— Perhaps the most meaningful thing that's ever been extended to us was the opportunity to live in Donald Ross's house. I mean, to have that opportunity and work right next to course number two and to be, you know, have our name associated with Pinehurst and all the greatness that goes on here, et cetera, et cetera. Is, it's a, tr- a tremendous
0: honor. Did you have any specific takeaways from being in Donald Ross's, um, you know, uh where his footsteps were, I don't know, where, where he lived.
1: Well, everybody kept asking if we saw his ghost or we want to meet, you know, and I'm like, no, we didn't. And <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> if you, I mean, why would I want that to happen? So, um, yeah, I mean, it, there there was definitely a tingle when you'd go, I'd go in the evenings sometimes and sit in his office and work on plans for our projects, and that was very, very cool. Yeah, yeah was, I saw your plan special. in there. Yeah. That was cool. It's, um, it, it, it was an amazing experience. And when you talk about, again, courses that are fun and The cradle, I mean, we're going to go play the cradle here in a little bit. That was a blast. Yeah. I mean, talk about liberating and not worrying about shot values or how's, you know, the drive going to land and what's this blah, 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 and is this green receptive to a four iron? That was just, hey, let's build however many, and it turned out to be nine fun holes we can build and have them be compelling for a good player who's going to be, like, grinding trying to make, you know, birdies and pars, yet – Eminently playable for everybody else. And it's one of those things where it's probably the most successful thing we've ever built when you get down to what it was intended to do. And we're probably going to go out there and see a bunch of guys hooting and hollering and drinking beers and playing barefoot. And we're going to see kids (laughs) running around. And we're going to see old guys. I mean, it's just... Every night we'd come in from work on the uh, on course number four, and to see that packed, and to see the putting green packed, it was like, wow, this is this is really what golf should be about. And like, you got to applaud Pinehurst for stepping forward and putting it right at the front door yeah. of the clubhouse. I mean, yeah. it's not like it's hidden, tucked away somewhere. I mean, it's right there.
0: Yeah, that is that, that. Was was there an option there, or was that just it? That,
1: that was it. That's that what we it. talked about. They're like, it,
0: this is what you got.
1: Yeah, and we said, fine, we'll take
0: it. Right. What, um, I think we can, we, we're going to try to end up, uh, uh wh- why, one of my favorite golf quotes is McKenzie, right? Um, the successful, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the plaque on his house. His team, but it's the, the successful, uh, avoidance of the successful navigation of obstacles I- it leading to the feeling of success is yeah. why people play golf. Right. Do you have a take on that? Uh, not that quote, but do you have a take on why we play golf, other than enjoyment or something? Is it is there some deeper fulfillment as a deadhead, right? As a, as a mystical creature that clearly has read golf in the kingdom at some point in your mm-hmm. life? Why on earth are we out here?
1: I I do believe that it's the <clears throat> it's the closest approximation we have to any sport. You know, I don't mean killing things, but you know, sport where you're in nature, and you think about the. The landscapes with which we play in this game are so varied and so diverse, one from the other to the other to the other, which doesn't exist in any of the games that we play. And I think it's that sense of conquest and overcoming hurdles in, a, in what is universally regarded as a beautiful setting. You heard that Even people, non-golfers... Don't ever say, "Oh, golf courses are ugly." I was like, "Yeah, they're beautiful." I don't agree with the water and fertilizer, but they're beautiful. <laughs> um, and I think you get to that point where there's just so much beauty out there. And if the golf course is properly maintained and properly designed, there's just this magical thing that occurs. And, and every night when we turn off the machines and there's the sun, the angles are right, and you, it's quiet, and you get to reflect on what you built that day or what you created. That's the most magical time for us as designers and shapers and just, you know, there. I can't tell you how peaceful that is. I mean, you're sitting in a machine that's just vibrating and violently pushing earth and ripping into the ground all day long. And you're then trying to finesse certain things. And then when you get off and that quiet is just, it's the most beautiful thing. And seeing, you know, if the light's right and the day's been a good one, there's nothing better in life.
0: So going back to what we said earlier, kind of about which game were you referring to, uh, the game of golf or the game of making golf? Because mm-hmm. for me, my experience as a filmmaker is um, I really, I love playing golf. And I always did. when I, st- I only started recently, but I, I fell in love with it madly. But then I found that I actually had more enjoyment out of filming things around golf. Mm-hmm. That was for me almost like a, that was the real trip for me. Yeah. Is that the same for you? Like, 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 If someone was like, you can't design golf courses anymore, but you can play Pine Valley, Augusta, Cypress, you can play your favorite 50 courses every day for the rest of your life, I feel like you would say no. I feel like you'd rather create the way you do. Yeah, Yeah, there's something really special about that. But
1: it's within the context of the golfing fraternity and when I say that, I mean guys like you, the golfer's journal. I mean, there's such a mm. renaissance right now, a resurgence of really good literature, good conversation, you know, really touching, hearkening back to the soul. I mean, you know, I'm wearing Link's soul. I mean, John Ashworth, the whole thing. It's Ash just, is on the pod. Yeah. I mean, he that is one of the coolest things about what's happening in golf right now. And I love that. I love that. You know, there's this reaction architecturally, there's reaction conversationally, there's this reaction, um, you know, in clo- everything about the game is, is right now, there's, there's such a lot of really positive stuff happening if you look for it. It may not be right at the forefront. I mean, golf may still appear to be the same to a lot of people who are looking at it casually, but if you really want to en- enmesh yourself into the spirit of the game, there's so much cool stuff happening
0: right now. Yeah.
1: It's great to be part of that.
0: I was about to end the podcast, but then you just made me think of something else. How about this, Gil? All right. We got, you got Goat Hill, right? Yeah. Great spot. John Ashworth, you just brought him up. We've got uh, Harding Park, right? You've got Beth Page Black. You've got Tory Pines. What the fuck? Where is it? Where is it in L.A.? I mean, rustic's amazing, but it is too far away. It's too far away. Well, what, Griff, what
1: can we, Griffith Park would be the one. I mean, let's George, talk about it. George Thomas designed both courses. You, you know, if if they would ever get, I mean, Jeff Shackelford is there. He's as talented as anybody. He knows George Thomas. I mean, it's like a perfect fit. Um,
0: How do we do this? Let I want to. I want to help. I want right. to do. I want to do whatever I can. All right. Because I I started at Wilson.
1: Okay. Let's get shot. And now I'm going back because I canceled my. <laughs> we <laughs> got, I mean, we've, I, the, the opportunity to say, I mean, we're involved in a project and it's been, it's had a, a, an incredibly long fuse, but anything associated with city politics and city government will have that. It's Cobbs Creek in Philadelphia. Mm. I mean, it was regarded as one of the top public golf courses in the country when it was in its heyday and it's just deteriorated and it's been chopped up and et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, you're talking about the guys that designed it Hugh Wilson from Marion, George Crump. Was out there from Pine Valley, right. and tilling it all. This whole Philly school of architects, all Gangster. contributing to build this great golf course for the city of Philadelphia. And we're hopeful we're going to get it back soon. But that's something like that needs to happen in, in Los Angeles, and it let's can. And it. there's great, all kinds of great examples.
0: Wait, let's let's get on that. I was just I was given a piece of paper that says need to wrap. With okay. W, <laughs> so I think this room is being taken back. But if right. you want, we're gonna if you're if you're not satisfied and you want more of this podcast, Gill and I are gonna go play golf in a little bit. It's gonna be on YouTube, uh, probably. You know, thanks for joining me, man. Oh, this has been cool. It's I've been really cool. enjoyed it. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Absolutely. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening. And uh, Gill, are you on social media? I don't think you are. I do are you, Instagram. You do a little Instagram
1: at Gill underscore Hands. All right, I follow you. You don't
0: really post that much, though. No. He's gonna yes. yeah. just listen to just listen to Dick's picks. Just That's listen it. to Grateful Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe check him out. Go play his golf courses, and um, you know, DM him on Instagram. Maybe he'll respond. All right, thanks, man.